Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Hey, Mike, I can't see clearly. Is that a lightning bolt on your shirt? You're damn right it is, O'Teal. This is Section 119. Hey guys, we just got our hands on some great new gear from an officially licensed partner of the Grateful Dead, Section 119. Oh yeah, Section 119. They sent me a pair of board shorts. They're actually really cool. I actually uh, wore them on stage and uh, they were really comfortable. You know, I live in board shorts in Florida, so that's kind of my jam. And uh, these have a cool print on them. Bertha's on there and the roses and stuff. I really like them. I got one of the performance polos with the Grateful Dead bolt embroidered in the chest. It's super stretchy, and I love the way it feels when I'm on stage wearing it. I feel like I'm representing the dead and rocking out some jokes in style. Section 119 was started by a couple of fans who wanted more than a lot tea to show their appreciation for the Grateful Dead. They started an apparel line that has everything you can imagine to represent the band at every occasion. And not just the dead, they've got some amazing fish duds as well. From button downs with dancing bears all over it to board shorts with super vibrant prints and donuts all over your shirts and socks, they've got something for every fan for any occasion. If you're looking for more than a t-shirt to celebrate the Grateful Dead, the folks at Section 119 make the highest quality apparel. Boogie on over to section119.com and use code COMESATIME. That's all one word, comes a time, for 15% off your next purchase. Hey, this is Oteal. If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. Welcome to comes a time. I'm Oteal. I'm the other guy, Mike, a.k.a. Veal Cassidy, a.k.a. Tripowitz. We had a big one. Yeah, we did this. Uh, I can't believe I actually pulled this off, but <laughs> we're going back into UFO land, folks. Um, the guy that has done really my three favorite documentaries ever on the UFO subject, but the, his latest one, The Phenomenon, is unquestionably, it's just by far the best, in my opinion. Uh, his name is James Fox. and he what a conversation we had i mean this guy has talked to three u.s presidents uh generals and and military people from all over the world uh i just astronauts like personal conversations with them Mm. and he just has 
all the goods. And I can't believe that when I, I, I wrote him and then I guess he was walking with a friend who's a deadhead. And I guess maybe the the dead came up and he was like, yeah, some guy dead company come in. I think his friend was like, you got O'Teal's phone number? Like, can we call him right now? So they call me and his friend is like freaking out. So, um, and I'm freaking out. And so it must've been interesting for James Fox as both sides of people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, he was just sitting there. He was just sitting there tugging on a maker's mark like a champ. And uh, he was cool. He was cool, man. I've never seen him before. And it was kind of like awesome to I mean, It's fascinating shit. And it's just such a fun topic that like has so much meat to be like discovered, you know? And I love that he was having the thing I dug about this was he was like, all right, I'll tell you guys something I haven't said before multiple times. I like when people are like, fuck it yeah i'll tell you this yeah you know, there, we had a lot of those moments so and i have not heard those things and you in, would know you yeah you know. In, including his own personal ufo sighting because one of the things he talks about is just like what an excruciating process it is mm. you know physically mentally emotionally everything you're just taken to the edge you know he's go you go he said i go broke every time i do a movie you know and i'm just like well why what drove you did something yeah. happen to you and he goes oh you know actually i don't think if i ever told me by this it's like great we're getting to come to time scoop from well, the baddest director on the in the whole genre you know and did you get what i was saying towards the end where it's like with this genre it could be sat it could be chasing sasquatch it could be yeah. ghost hunters. It could be anything extraterrestrial. There's a very, there, there's a large percentage of cheesy, mm-hmm. uh, not well done shit that waters down the market and almost makes people go, yeah, I mean, why am I going to watch a show about chasing Sash? But they're clearly not going to find it. You know what I mean? Like, but with, with what he, but he put in the time and he put in the money and he put in the effort. Yeah. And I mean, it's high quality content. And that's the stuff when you're in a world where there's so much crap, like comedy, like music, like, yeah. stuff, I mean, you know, religion, like, everything. Yeah. Yeah. When quality is what makes it, that's important. And I have to say, Otiel, you're with the golden background there. <laughs> you almost look like that's some like very Sun Ra looking background <laughs> you have there, it's like the that gold oil. Like Buck Jason Rogers <laughs> from the old, the old uh, when the when the spaceship used to be on a string, you know, <laughs> like spray painted tinfoil. Like, oh man, this was yeah, fun, so, man. Yeah, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, I had a blast. And thank you. I'm stoked you had him here. You got him. It, it, it was I just cool. what a long shot. And I, I will say, man, do not miss this one. And for sure, to be continued. And, mm-hmm. you know, we got so lucky with Avi Loeb. And then our luck just was like even more with John Greenwald. And now this is just like a triple play. Like, I literally can't believe it, man. I wish Kofi was alive right now. He would be losing it, man. So don't miss this one. This is really some heavy, some heavy stuff for those that have only heard the, the you know, the trashy yeah. stuff. This is the real also- stuff, man. 
Yeah, and also maybe we should say we'd like to welcome all of our new listeners that are coming from the UFO space. Uh, check out some of our old episodes. They all get yeah. pretty heady. So, uh, you know, yeah. we, we kind of, we, we, we spread a wide net. So, uh, yes. And you know what would go well with this episode, Otiel? Pre-rolled <laughs> Garcia hand-picked cannabis joint, our sponsor. So if you live in a place where, uh, you know, your, your uh, powers that be have decided that cannabis is a legal thing, there's a good chance that you might have Garcia handpicked available for your enjoyment. They have gummies that are shaped like guitar picks. They have incredible craftsmanship with the packaging and the jars and all awesome stuff. And uh, they actually have a uh, playlist that goes with the brand of bud that you're smoking. So if you're enjoying an Indica, there might be like a 75 crazy finger, 76 crazy finger, 70. The, you know, um, it has a little uh, cannabis sommelier. Yes, <laughs> it pairs pairings. well. It pairs well with a John Con solo. Um, so anyway, check out GarciaHandpick.com uh, and find out if it's available in your area. Thank you for sponsoring us. We're very proud to be a uh, part of your team. You can check us out at Patreon.com forward slash Comes a Time Pod. We are on Patreon. We have an incredible pile of holes for you to step into um i've got some stand updates coming up that we're going to post up there um thank you for osiris for having us on the network osirispod.com to check out all the great podcasts and uh be sure to check out safely dead and company with my friend oteal out on the road and this whole series i guess we could say this is a new season the uh, on the road on tour Season, I'm enjoying, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Is this season two? This I don't know what season, season. Yeah, but this is even, see, this is like season 2A with you on season the road. Two. You know what I mean? We're going to have right. a different background. <laughs> We're going to see the curtains of American hotels. <laughs> It'll be the, the, uh, the hotel background. Sorry, I don't have my cool backgrounds. And I also have to make sure that there's nothing identifying the hotel in the background. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Take so. the, take the labels off cups and shit. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah. Enjoy this. You guys enjoy peace. Be safe out on the road. Mask up, please. Amen. What are you drinking, bud? A uh, little makers. On the rocks. Yeah. No neat. Nice. It's, it's, it's neat. Yeah. Okay. Just, yeah. I started making these I, in the winter during the pandemic. I found I had to get off beer because I was I was starting to look like fucking Santa Claus. But I uh, <laughs> bullet bourbon, ginger beer, rye bourbon, ginger beer, cherry juice on the rocks. If you want to throw a cherry or two in, you can. Couple uh-huh. ornaments on the tree, but that's that's the drink I'd made all winter. Mm, I love it. <laughs> Got me through the pandemic. I love it. Yeah. I I was working on I edited the phenomenon. I spent three and a half years in an edit room and I couldn't walk at the end. And I had Jeez. a number of different editors that that were working with me. And this one guy was this fanatic on tea. And he kept mm. saying, um, 
yeah, well, you got to do this, this green tea and this other tea. And I said, how about some whisk tea? And so that was kind of like the ongoing joke. Because he wanted to give me tea. I had no interest in the tea. Yeah, so we had to say, how about some whisk tea? <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that when got you're me through. Crazy. That's how I met James. He was bombed on a, yeah, it got a, full me, of, a full glass of makers. That, that got me through, that got me through the editing process for the, I'm not kidding. It, it really Fantastic. did. I can't was, imagine how just like mind numbing that is. Like I've mixed records before. Yeah. And I just can't do it. I, just to be so micro on it. And I think, well, I know film is like that times 10. Well, people would say, oh, I'm so excited. You're doing this documentary. I can't wait to come into the studio and like, and watch what you guys are doing. And they'd come in the studio and they'd be like, <laughs> You're like, can I get another, can I get another oh, cup of whiskey? Oh my god! Have you have you made any progress? I'm like, no, I'm still working on the first second. <laughs> wow! Yeah, I can't. That would every. I, I'm just not made that way. Every frame, every frame, and every single word was carefully crafted. We would argue over a word one time for like four hours. To get yeah. the exact word, we'd look it up and check the definition and counter check the definition, look for synonyms like, oh my God. Synonyms like I mean, you know. So can I ask you a question? What What's your origin story that would lead you to be able to have that amount of passion and focus? Like what got you into all this stuff? Well, funny enough. I don't think the phenomenon would have, well, I don't know. You guys are musicians and, and, and uh, you guys are artists. And when you think of, when you, when you visualize a certain thing that you want to accomplish, whether it's a documentary or a song or an album, you kind of have an idea ahead of time. I certainly did of, of what it, what it was that I wanted to create. And I wanted to do the seminal uh, feature length documentary film on the topic of UFOs for 27 years. And wow. I, 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 I tried with my first production, 50 years of denial, which I sold the discovery fell short. Then I did it. I had another crack at it with a film called out of the blue. I spent yeah. about another five years making that, um, Peter Coyote narrated it, finished it. I wasn't happy, but my couple of my co-producers, one guy in particular, this guy, Boris, was in a fetal position and he was having a complete meltdown. And his wife looked at me and I was pushing. I kept pushing because the, the film wasn't done yet. It wasn't done to my what I wanted. And his wife looked at me and she was screaming at me. You're killing my husband. Stop it. Like, <laughs> stop it. Like, you're, this movie's done. What are you doing? And I realized I was like, OK, well. All right, fine. So we put the film out out of the blue. And you'll see why I'm why I'm telling you what I'm telling you. And but in the back of my mind, I was like, this film wasn't done. It was not the film that I set out to to, to make. So three years later, I got a, I got a letter from NBC Universal, who had bought the broadcast option uh, for the science sci-fi channel, and uh, they said we're not going to renew the broadcast option. Um, so I own it again. So I was like, oh, great. This is, this is awesome. So I'm going to take it. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything to this film that I didn't do, you know, three years ago. 
do I, I stopped doing. So I revisited the film project and everyone was like, you had your mind. So I had to buy my other partners out, get new partners. <laughs> I put several more years into it. And wow. then that evolved into another film, which I, which I, I did an updated director's cut version of out of the blue that fell short. Then I did another film. I spent about four and a half years on called. I know what I saw Yeah, that fell short it was a decent film. Yeah, that one I worked really hard on, but I was not satisfied. You know what I mean? It just it wasn't what I wanted to accomplish. I just wasn't satisfied. And my dad would say to me, my dad was a writer. He was paralyzed from the neck down with multiple sclerosis. And mm. he, he, you know, he he'd write a book. He would dictate to an automated uh, yeah. voice, voice activated tape recorder and he would do that. And then he would say what he wanted to say. And then someone would transcribe those tapes and then he would edit. And it was a very, very, uh, slow and, and, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for, but anyway, it was a arduous, long arduous. Thank you. Yeah. In any case, uh, I, I remember complaining to my father when I finished, I know what I saw and I worked really hard on that film. And people were like, well, you can't make a documentary on a bunch of old retired military men standing at a podium. I said, well, yeah. Al Gore just made a documentary out of a PowerPoint <laughs> presentation. So, you know, anyway, I finished. So I finished. I, I, I know what I saw. I ended up selling it to a &E. It broadcasted the two-part special on the History Channel. And I was like, not, not once did I even smile. And my dad was like, wow. son, you know. What what's what, what's wrong? I said, Dad, I didn't do it. He goes, What do you mean you didn't do it? Goes, but look what you did. And I said, Yeah, but no, I didn't. I didn't do it. This is not. I, I you know. So anyway, so when I finished yeah. the phenomenon, I was in a ball, crying, and I couldn't. I the the level of pressure and your audience would eyes yeah. would blaze over if I gave you all the details. It doesn't matter. But suffice to say, it pushed me to the point of where I completely broke down, both physically and mentally. But I got it across the finishing line and it came out. And uh, I said, I, I think I did it this time. I think you did do it, man. It's, I've, you know, me and my brother have been fanatics about this stuff for decades. And to me, it's the pinnacle. Did you have like a sighting yourself? I mean, what got you into UFOs just as a subject originally? It's really funny. It's really funny because. I don't talk about this very often, but years ago, I dated a girl named Rachel Miller and I was 18. She was 19. And she's like, oh, yeah, my previous boyfriend was really into UFOs. And I was like, oh, my God. Well, you know, I just wrote him off so quickly as a freak like this. Uh, what? You know, you must yeah. be great kind of thing. Uh, two years later, I was lying in bed with 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 a. Uh, my then girlfriend, Lisa, and uh, we both looked out the window at the same time. And it was a very large window to our right. And there was an object shaped kind of like an egg. Not that big, about half the size of a Volkswagen bug, an old one. And um, it was just sitting there kind of about tree level. And it was kind of pulsating a little bit. And said, what the F is that? And I said, I don't know, but whatever it is, I get the feeling it knows we're looking at us. She said, me too. Closed the blinds. So I leapt up out of bed and I closed the blinds and we were clutching each other in bed. And I don't know, we must have waited a couple of minutes. I'm not entirely sure how long. And she said, I wonder if it's still there. And I opened up the blinds and it was gone. 
My sister came home about an hour later. And it was about, at that point, it's about one o'clock in the morning. We told her what happened. And she's like, oh, okay. And she goes off and goes to sleep. Woke up the next morning, never talked about it ever again. Didn't tell my dad. Didn't tell any of my friends. Lisa and I didn't even talk about it. Hmm. So isn't that, you know? That, yeah. yeah. Many years later, look what you're doing. Yeah. And so I get a text message. I could, oh, if my phone was here, I lost my phone. I, I got a text message from Lisa 20 plus years later, which is just recently or 30 years later. She said, oh my God, I just watched your movie, The Phenomenon. Do you think there's any correlation between what we saw and why you're doing what you're doing? I said, Lisa, I don't know, but I've thought about that. I don't know. Amazing. Isn't that funny? Yeah, I just kinda, I just kinda, she's married. She's got a like a, a 12, 13 year old daughter. And yeah, she's like, I just watched it. And I, I was thinking about us. And had I not had a witness on that event and it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like I saw definitively something from another world. I, not absolutely not. I saw something in the air that was pulsating. It was hovering. And it, and I had the impression, as did she, that it knew we were looking at it. That's what let, I saw. Let me ask you this. Because this is not far away. <clears throat> Did it make any sound? Because we thought we saw a UFO. I had the most fun experience with my kids uh, over the pandemic. Well, it might have been right before, actually. Anyway, my wife was out having dinner with friends, and we thought we saw a UFO. Now, it turned out to be a blimp at a football game, but oh, it was I big. Remember I remember yeah, that. Yeah, I remember. And yeah. my kids know that I'm really into this You're stuff. Doing, Nigel's yeah. last room was all... His bike, everything, aliens and spaceships. So we went to chase it. I was like, well, mom's not here. Let's be UFO hunters, you know. <laughs> but one of the things that got me was its size and that I couldn't hear anything. Yes. Yeah. And that's why I even bothered to get in the car because otherwise. So because but and we live on a lake. So stuff flies over the house all the time. The smallest things. And they can be far away. They're so loud. You can hear it so clear. So to me, like when there's no sound and something's hovering, that's a dead giveaway. Oh. Like, So you, you made the, the, uh, uh, an interesting point because I, I was interviewing, I've interviewed a lot of people all around the world uh, to China and Africa and South America and, and uh, Australia and all across Europe and stuff. And I've met a lot of like military and civilian witnesses, but I sat down with a group of hospice workers that were sitting, having tea in a garden in, on March 13th, 1997, the infamous Phoenix Lights incident. Oh, yeah. That massive UFO flew over. It, it started in the north and worked its way down across the state of Arizona. And in fact, it started in Nevada. And this has always baffled me because I interviewed all five of them and they were having tea and they said that suddenly they looked up and there was this object that they said it looked like a floating city and it floated wow. quietly. They said, had we not looked up, we wouldn't have heard a thing. Wow. It floated right over the top of them and it took us several minutes and they said they could see compartments and metal structure. And I swear to you, they told me. and it just floated right over them. And then it goes over the top of them. And what do they do? They go right back to having tea. I said, well, wait a minute. Didn't you get in your car and go chase after this thing? Cell phone camera? Anything. Just anything? And I think, what, I, I think what happens is your brain can't process 
what you're looking at. And it's almost like, I'm just going to go ahead and just pretend that didn't happen because they all went back to having tea and I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I was, you know, but that's, I've heard that many times. Who's who's the guy with the... Can't process. They can't process it. Yeah. Yeah. There there was a dude that was a researcher. His name, Ted Williams, that was trained by Hynek. Anyway, he... Oh, oh, yes. Uh, Is it Ted... uh, not Ted Phillips. Uh, Ted, uh, it'll come to me. No, I, Ted I, Williams, right? Is it? Well, the guy is it the guy running running his old organization now? It's he uh, was he was doing all the like actual uh, trace research, like if there was burn marks, and if the, oh, he was at uh, uh, Ted Phillips, Marley Woods, Marley oh. Woods guy, huh. and then that's kind of like Skinwalker Ranch. Anyway, he I was watching an interview with him, and he said that he had an actual, you know, anomalous sighting happened and he had <laughs> he's like i didn't take the picture because i was just like yeah you know just kind of transfixed yeah, yeah. and then he got like one bad one or something he's like oh oh i should you know get this i think it just freezes you you, you know, know people, but there were tens of thousands of people that saw that one right the well, Phoenix people, lights. oh my god are you kidding me have to stay to arizona because they're all out under the night sky yeah. trying to get a glimpse yeah. of the hell bob comment and five like, simington fake five, I the whole I, thing and then admitted it later. Yes, I was like, oh. I got I got five Simonton to come forward, the governor of Arizona. You're the one that did I'm it. I'm the one that got him to come forward. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I know. Wow, I forgot that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you. Nice. I'll, I'll tell you how I did it. <clears throat> I was going Mark. I know, right? <laughs> Niggas Mark. I know. I know, right? Good point. I did actually go out for drinks with him one night. And I, did. I had these two beautiful women with me. And I said, let's let's get let's get, you know, the, the, the former governor liquored up a little bit, and see what he'll reveal. I was, just I trick in the book. always felt that he got a phone call from the higher up telling him to shut it down because I don't know the way the yeah. whole thing went down was just weird. But in any case, he came out with that. For those that don't know, the governor. Yes. Came out. He had to address it. Yes. And he said, we figured out what it is. And then they had someone come out in the stupid, like life-size alien costume. That was his chief. It was like, yeah, ha, 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 little green men, just, you know, nothing to see here. That was their public statement. So (laughs) then, you know. I was pissed off because I was interviewing all of his constituents at the time when this was going down. And they were were really angry. They were pissed too. They wrote him pissed off. He went, he, he, Oh, no. He went and he made an announcement earlier that day. And he was serious. He said, look, we're going to launch an investigation. We're going to contact the local Air Force Base, Luke Air Force Base, and all these other organizations. And we're going to get we're going to we're really going to look into it. And he was serious. He really was yeah. serious. And then later that day, I think it was like four or five hours later, he had this unannounced press conference where he had his chief of staff dressed in an alien suit and made a joke about the whole thing. Right. Yeah. He his justification years later was everyone was freaking out and he needed to add a bit of levity to the situation. But I always suspected because of his serious announcement of a of a of an investigation earlier that day that he was going to that maybe he had a phone call saying, you know, you need to squash this. I yeah. that's just my, you know, but he swears to me to this day. But in any case, I got him to come forward. I met with him. I'll never forget it. The same guy I was telling you earlier that was curled up in a bowl. Uh, uh, I p- pushed him really hard. And his wife was saying, you're killing my husband. I got an interview with Fife and, and I thought that, you know, I mean, 
everyone's like, you don't have a snowball's chance in hell. Well, I always go for it anyway. Right. But, mm -hmm. and he got back and he agreed to do the interview and everyone's like, Oh, okay. You know, I, I think they were a little tipped that I did, that I did get the interview. And oh, what, what's he going to say? I said, does it matter? Like, let's go and meet with five Simonton right now. Yeah. So on the way down to Santa Barbara, I was driving from San Francisco. I, uh, I thought of one of his, one of the witnesses and one of his constituents, this woman, Stacy Rhodes, and I called her up and I had my pocket tape recorder and I said, Stacy, you're not going to believe who I'm meeting with right now. She said, who? I said, Governor Fife Simonton, is there anything you'd like to say? Ooh. She's like, you're damn right. I'd like to yeah. say something to him. And, and I, I said, well, hold on. Let me pull out my pocket tape recorder. I pulled out, I pressed record and boy, did she lay into him. I mean, respectfully, but she laid into him. I mean, yeah. it was like, Wow. <laughs> She'd been harboring all that for some time. So anyway, I get down to the interview with Fife and I figured, you know, I'm not going to lay this tape on him right now because he might just like, you know, say this interview is over. So I just like kind of felt him out a little bit, checked his temperature, got the interview going, got about maybe halfway through the interview. I said, uh, opener, um, I have a, uh, a, I have a little message from one of your uh, former constituents, as well as a witness to the event. And she'd like to, uh, and I did this all on camera. It's all the cameras were rolling when I did this. And I said, she'd like to ask you something. And he kind of squirmed in his seat a little bit. <coughs> said, Boy, it's been a while since I've been ambushed, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I said, and I, I pressed play and there was Stacy Rhodes, just like, you, you know, let us all out there and dry. We've put you in office and, you know, we saw this thing and you poo-pooed, made a joke out of it all and really kind of laid into him. And he sat there very quietly, processed it. And I think right there on the fly, he said, the hell with it. And, and he said, you know what? He just disclosed it right there. And I'll, it was one of those moments. <clears throat> he said, not only did I look into it, but I too saw that. And I'm a, oh, a yeah, Air Force right. pilot. And that's I, right. I know airplanes and I'm a pilot. And he goes, that's that right. was not from this, not, not from this world. And I said, well, how did you know that? He said, because of the size and how it flew. Yeah. And I, do, do, <laughs> and, and, and I'm not just saying this, this is true. It was one of the, it was, in fact, it was the first time in my life where I physically pinched my, well, the first thing I did was I looked over to the camera to make sure the camera was rolling. I, make sure the red light was on. I'm not kidding you. I really, I know, I bet. I was like, there's no way this camera is rolling right now. I'm not getting this. And so then I reached and I said, it's, it's a red light. Yeah. It says record. And then I said that I'm obviously dreaming. I'm not kidding you. So I pinched my leg in the field. I swear to you, I pinched <laughs> my leg really hard. And I was like, Love it. no, I feel that this is really happening. I, I got this, crazy, but this is the truth. I promise you, because I simply couldn't believe it was happening. That this big story, one of the biggest yeah. daylight sightings in modern history. And the governor was admitting that he saw it. It was like unprecedented. Of course it was yeah. unprecedented. I mean, was. We were invited on Larry King like six times and we went on Nightline yeah. and Dateline and Anderson Cooper. And, you know, well, and it's so just it was, a great one for the debunkers, too, because the debunkers always yeah. want to go, well, it could be a black budget project. OK, so for something little like what you saw in 97. Yes. I might even allow half for that. Just as my skeptic mind. Right. Like, come on, let's be rational. Something that sides. Of what happened in Phoenix, where that a mile many across. people saw it, 
There is oh absolutely no way we have some secret. Te- if we would be ruling this whole planet, we would have told the Saudis I, to fuck off. We oh don't yeah. need your oil. Like, you know, I, get out of here. I interviewed families that were sitting on their front lawns. I'm not kidding you. I interviewed these families. One of them said, I just laid down on my back and looked up and watched this massive thing float over so slowly that it looked like it was going to land. With no you sound. Couldn't you couldn't see the edge. They said they couldn't see the edge wow. in any direction. That's how big it was. And no but one yeah, has it passed over for several minutes. Look, I'm not. I'm not saying this. The witnesses are saying that. I was like, I documented it. It's unbelievable. No one took a picture. I'm sorry? Not one person snapped a photo. No, there's video and pictures, right? Yeah, there are some videos, but not up close like that. Um, You know, you know, the thing. Okay, so I, I, you know, I'll tell you a story, but I went after, I go after things big time. When I hear, I, I, I stick my teeth into something, I don't let up. I got contacted by a, a guy who was the Vietnam vet. Um, well, I'll back up a moment. There was a, a, a councilwoman, Frances Barwood. She was one of the few people, um, uh, officials in Phoenix that pushed for a public investigation on this sighting. She was raked over the coals. Her her mm. career was destroyed. Frances Barwood, you can look her up. Frances was contacted. I was interviewing her at the time, all on camera back in the 90s about this. Well, Frances, and this is a true story, and I don't, I, I, I may have never shared this story before publicly. Mm. I don't know. But but it happened. Frances was contacted. She was called by a lot of people. They were demanding an investigation. She was contacted by this one guy in particular. And he's like, I'm a Vietnam vet. I was on my roof with a tripod and a camera and a walkie-talkie. I was listening. I was trying to get a, a, a good photograph, good video footage of the Hellbob Comet. And I was listening to the mm. truckers coming up Interstate 10 from um, Tucson. So Tucson, and he was, I think he was, either he's in Phoenix or he's in Tucson. And he heard it coming from Phoenix to Tucson or Tucson to Phoenix. I think it was Tucson to Phoenix. But don't quote me on that. I'm not sure. It was going one, one way or the other. But he was on his roof. <clears throat> and and he heard the truckers on Interstate 10 talking about this massive craft. He's like, that's coming my way. So he filmed it with a tripod as it went right over the top of his house. Wow. So he called Francis Barwood and he said, hey, um, my name is so-and-so. And I am uh, wanting to know if you're interested in some footage of this crap because I videotaped it. It went right over my house. And she was like, yeah, that'd be, yes, we would love, I'd love to see it. So they made arrangements. He was going to drop the footage off at her office. Well, according to Francis Barwood, he didn't show up. So about a week goes by and uh, <clears throat> he calls her office and he says, um, well, what do you think? She goes, what do you mean? What do I think? You're going to come out of my office and you didn't show up. He said, well, I didn't have to. You had two men from your office come to my house. Uh, and, and she what? goes, I didn't send anybody to come to your house. Well, he goes, well, they said they were from your office. And the only thing they asked her, uh, him, sorry, and I verified this at the, the time is, and I didn't share this in any of my movies because it's one of those things, right? Yeah. You know, but, but I'd heard it, I'd heard it enough times where 
um, I think probably after 10 years of hearing similar stories, I said, okay, there's clearly some government aid. And I sound crazy saying this, but I know no. that's why I don't include it in my movies. But, but clearly there's some unknown government agency <clears throat> monitoring uh, this stuff. I'll give you another example. I was filming the phenomenon in Silicon Valley with Jacques Vallée and Gary Nolan, who's a macrobiologist at Stanford. And they were doing sample analysis of reported UFO debris from cap that Jacques Vallée has captured uh, from all across the globe. Yeah. And Jacques was walking around, I kid you not, the lab like this with the, with the metal parts, all the little samples. <laughs> And I looked at it, it was only it was only me, the couple camera guys, an audio guy, and Gary Nolan. And I'm like, there's nobody else here. Gary, well, Jacques, what are you doing? Like, put those things down. And he said, and Jacques, you know, Jacques Vallée is like the intellectual heavyweight on the planet. Regarding, yeah. I mean, he's a physicist. He mapped out Mars for NASA back in the '60s. I mean, the guy's a genius. And he goes, these things have a strange way of disappearing. And he was serious. And he was I, like, I'll be putting my hands on him. Yeah. And so <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time I'd heard those stories, and, and I don't include them in the movie because it makes me sound nuts, but I'm telling you, yeah. if you have a really good, legitimate piece of footage, chances are, you know, yeah, wow. make copies. Make it makes copies. me wonder how make some copies and put, them in some, <laughs> put them in many areas. What about other countries? Are other countries at that same, like, if someone shoots something in Argentina, is the Argentinian government now going to sack I, I that would, footage or is the American government going to? I would say a turning point for me in even speaking publicly about what I'm sharing with you gentlemen right now is when I was in Brazil and I was interviewing, I'm actually going back to Brazil in a week for the fourth time. There was an, it's the Roswell of Brazil. It's, it's a 1996 Virginia UFO incident. And I was interviewing a number of eyewitness testimony that came within 10 feet of, of, of this being. Wow. Um, very credible, broad daylight stuff. And there were three girls coming back from work or something. It was in broad daylight. They got within 10 feet of this thing. And the mother... Yeah, it's a crazy story. I, I, I got a film coming out next year about it. But the mother, uh, who I found very credible on camera, said that uh, these men in suits showed up at her house. There were three of them. And uh, two um, spoke uh, Portuguese. And then the third didn't. And I said, oh, well, who was the third? They were in suits and they were very, uh, let's say, forceful. Uh, didn't threaten her directly, but they were intimidating and they were offering her, the mother um, a briefcase full of money to basically say the daughters were lying, that they, what they actually saw was something different. And then it was all lie. And the mother refused. And they said, you, there's enough money here. You can leave the, you can leave the country and live somewhere else, you know, but this kind of thing. And wow. at that point, I said to myself, okay, I think I've heard enough. I, I think I actually believe that these men exist. And, and um, uh, I, I don't know what, what agency they're from, but they're global because I'd heard similar stories when I interviewed uh, a Belgian general um, mm -hmm. um, who had that, that very famous case in, in the late 80s, early 90s, um, uh, Wilford de Brouwer, General Wilford de Brouwer, who told me to my face that 
that men in suits showed up and they wanted to confiscate the r- radar tapes from the jets when they scrambled the jets to intercept that big triangular-shaped UFO over Belgium back in the late 80s, early 90s. And he's like, well, I can make copies for you guys if you provide me an official request. And they wouldn't do that because there's a paper trail. But then I interviewed Parviz Jafari, who was an Iranian general. And he told me the same thing when uh, after that dramatic 1976 UFO encounter over Tehran, Iran. Yeah. Um, I interviewed him and he said the same thing. There were uh, representatives from the U.S. government in, in Tehran the next morning. So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. sure, this ATIP program, you know, that was real, revealed on the front page of The New York Times in 2017 is cool. But I knew that there was an investigatory branch of some unknown agency in the U.S. government investigating these things because I spoke to all the people in different time, you know, 80s, 70s, 80s. I'll give you another example. And I'll probably bore your audience to death at this point. But I was interviewing uh, Colonel, Colonel Charles Halt, who was a deputy base yeah. commander at Bentwater's UFO incident of December 1980. Randall Yeah, an unknown government <laughs> landing case. An unknown government agency came in and not only subjected his this is what he told me. I'm not telling you guys. This is what he told me. He was a deputy base commander that there was an unknown government agency from the U.S. that came in, sanitized the evidence, subjected his men to sodium pentothal and uh, and like sanitized the area and left. I was like, well, what agency were they from? He goes, I don't know. But they came in like yeah. like they like they own the place. Really? So, I believe in get in. And so you bring up something that's really puzzled me because. You know, I hear these people that <clears throat> have had this happen and have actually been threatened. Like what one of the guys who was, you know, that when they tried to shoot the nuclear, the dummy nuclear warhead out and the guy yeah. who was in charge of the, the cameras. Yeah, I think he was in the Air Force Base, 1965. Yeah. And he got mad. He goes, I don't give a damn what anybody says. I saw it and all your threats and whatever. Yep. So I thought, okay, so how are all these guys disclosing this stuff why are some people threatened and some others like the science teacher in africa i mean the principal in the of the school and and zambia or whatever collins yeah Yeah, a guy you interviewed and he hadn't been interviewed before or was it the science teacher that's dr john mack from harvard you mean him or do you know no it was the guy from the school in zambia i thought oh yeah yeah zimbabwe in, uh, Zimbabwe. Yeah, it was, and he was uh, like, I was, threat- I was threatened. You know, all so, these okay. kids so, saw this thing. And how yeah, come some it, are threatened and some aren't? Yeah. So it's interesting, actually, because I, uh, Colin Mackey is his name. He yeah, was yeah. head master. He's really funny. He, he has not. He didn't. He denied me a request for an interview. As did Judy Bates, who's now the headmistress of Ariel School from the 1994 UFO landing case in, in Rua, Zimbabwe. And um, I managed to get Judy Bates. And if you watch the phenomenon at the end, very carefully, listen to my encounter with Judy Bates. Judy Bates had just had face surgery for some cancer. I know. She had that yeah. thing over her nose. And she, she walked out just to say hello to her former classmates right? Our former mm. students. And all of a sudden, the cameras were rolling somewhere else. All of a sudden, she starts talking. And I said, Judy, do you mind if I turn the cameras on you right now? She's like, well, I don't know what I'm going to add, you know, roll camera. And she 
pretty much admits very discreetly that she was a witness too to that event. But you have yeah. to listen very carefully. Uh, but I couldn't get Colin Mackey to go on camera, and I don't know why. But he just, he wouldn't say no. I could see that the message was read, and he would respond to every other question I'd ask. But when it came to an actual, like, will you meet with me interview, he wouldn't respond. Mm. And I don't know why. So it's interesting. You're saying that he was asked not to or whatever. Maybe that's true. I don't know. But but Colin, it, yeah. And, there, and then there was that landing case that happened at Westall. In 1966, in, 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 in Australia, and everyone yeah. there was threatened. I, they didn't yeah. threaten their lives, they threatened to destroy their, their reputations. Yeah. I just wonder, because some people, like, it just seems to me, and, you know, I'm sorry, because it's my conspiracy brain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it seems like all of a sudden, all these people came forward. The Hastings disclosure, the Greer disclosure at the National Press Club. And, like, all of a sudden, everybody felt free to talk about it and at first i thought maybe they're getting cover from the rockefellers because i know lawrence rockefeller was working with uh clinton to try to get a disclosure and then wasn't stephen greer working with david rockefeller so no, my brain no. was going maybe some these because yeah, so, they're so, powerful they provided some cover which made yeah bullshit so, uh so lawrence rockefeller Basically, I know this because I've I, I, I've done a good amount of research on the Rockefeller Initiative. It's referred to as the Rockefeller Initiative. Yeah, Lawrence was putting a lot of money at this in the '90s, early '90s, and whoever won the presidency was either going to be uh, Clinton, who is that, uh, Ross Perot, or George uh, Bush Senior, right? George Bush Senior. Thank you. Yeah, and he had basically made up his mind, Lawrence Spellman Rockefeller at the time, that. He was going to put significant pressure on whoever won the presidency because in his twilight years, he wanted to push for government transparency on UFOs. So he basically approached the Clinton administration. And he was like, look, you're going to do this. And if you don't, I'm going to reveal the fact on every newspaper cover that you're not going to do that. Basically, strong-armed Clinton. We look into it. He's like, look into Roswell. So they looked into Roswell. And, and, he went at, and, he, and, and they went after it. But uh, Lawrence, paralleling that effort, he was also funding Dr. John Mack. Uh, he was funding. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. He, he sent Dr. John Mack to Africa. And that, that was what funded yeah. all the cameras that, that, that interviewed all the children in Africa in 1994. Yeah. That landing case. Fascinating. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. But he was doing all that. And he put together the, the, the briefing document. You know that briefing document? Yeah. yeah. Briefing document? I've got a copy of it somewhere. In fact, the fact that I don't wow. have it right here makes me a little weary. So I was right. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and so Lawrence was like putting a lot of pressure on Lawrence actually got probably that coupled with, you know, the 50th anniversary of Roswell, which was 1997. And there was a lot of media attention. There was Stephen Schiff. Yeah. The Congressman yeah. Schiff. He died under mysterious circumstances. Boy, that was weird. Um, mm. The Roswell thing was weird. Yeah, you, yeah. you want to talk. I mean, that just looked weird. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back after this. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at Smartwool. For more than 25 years, Smartwool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. 
because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They're here to help you feel good. Now it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. What's up, everyone? I'm Mike. And I'm O'Teal. And these are our Sunset Lake CBD gummies that are almost gone. Sunset Lake CBD is a farmer-owned business that ships CBD products directly from their farm to your door. For years, Sunset Lake was a Vermont dairy farm producing milk for Ben and Jerry's ice cream. In 2018, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. And with a product for everyone, they offer pre-rolls, hemp cigars, and hemp flowers, as well as tinctures, gummies, and CBD-crafted coffee to help with stress, aches, and pains. Sunset Lake CBD saves you money by shipping high-quality CBD products directly from their farm to your door. Want to know what I've been using a lot of, O'Teal? This salve with the arnica Uh, on my my old bones. You get back from a show and you got tore ankle, rub a little bit of this on there. You're ready to dance the next day. And you know, Sunset Lake... uh, Comes a time listeners can visit sunsetlakecbd.com and use promo code TIME for 20% off of their purchase. That's sunsetlakecbd.com, promo code TIME. And tell them we sent you. Thanks for listening. But that's what gets me. Like some people die. They don't just get threatened. And then all these guys, this slew of guys felt free to come for it. Like I get the deathbed ones. I get that yeah. even the guys that are really old, like Colonel Corso yeah. or some, you know, and they're like, whatever yeah. I could say yeah. what I want. Like the guy right, in out. Israel, <laughs> right. The head of the Israeli space. Well, I'm 80 something. Yeah. I'll say what I want, but you know, some of these younger people, I'm like, well, how did they feel free to come forward? So it's just my conspiracy brain, but well, I that's wonder, interesting. Power in numbers. I, you know, I wonder also, you know, uh, I'm just trying to think of how much I can re- reveal here, but we wish we have, we were there with makers, more makers. More. I, know, right? I, know. I think I've said two <laughs> things this whole podcast. I have to be careful what I say. I have to be careful what I say. Cause I've gotten, I've gotten, uh, 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 I've gotten a little bit of an access point that I can't abuse. Yeah. Um, anybody well, shows up at my house tomorrow, I'm not no, yeah, no, no. I have a dog that'll bite. But what, what, one of the questions that I have, and I and I put this forth to Senator Harry Reid, the former Senate Majority Leader, is like, who has the authority to release the good evidence? You know, like it's not the president. No, it doesn't seem to be the president. Well, right, because yeah. he's a temporary employee, right? Yeah. He's basically it's really baffling to me. And I haven't gotten a straight answer. And I've asked that because I really want to know. I want to know. I really do. I mean, yeah. I've talked to Podesta about it. I've talked to Senator Reid about it. I've talked to former Deputy Secretary of Defense for Intelligence, Chris, Christopher Mellon, Lou Elizondo. Like, I, I don't know. In yeah. fact, no one's given me a... A, a damn answer on that one. Well, let me let me ask you a question with that then. You know how right now it seems like there's this trickling, this like there's yeah. a dash of information yes. here. 
There's a dollop of information here. Yeah. And that's supposedly enough to suffice. Like, Like, can you imagine the videos they have? That's what I'm saying. So it's like, I've heard. Do you feel? Do you feel like they are like? You know what? When Yellowstone explodes. Or when something else happens, this is when we'll drop this in for me. Are they saving it for literally the catastrophic event to go? And by the way, <laughs> well, here's some video from. Here's what I. Here's what I think, and this is informed speculation, but I can't sit there and tell you definitively one way or the other. What, here's what I think. You've got some people in the intelligence agencies that want this out, and others that don't. And the reason why they don't want it out, because it exposes their vulnerabilities. It mm-hmm. exposes what they don't know. Um, right. It opens up the floodgates to all these questions because do we know their origins and intent? I don't think we do. Um, you know, and I've asked like, cause I want to know, I'm, you know, I'm just a Joe public guy. That's just been incredibly curious. Like I really want to get to the bottom of it and I'm starting to realize maybe I won't get to the bottom of it. And it's really hard to say, you know, like, yeah. but maybe, uh, the best response I've gotten is that there's an omnipresent intelligence that has the ability to manifest itself in a multitude of ways. It can, it's psychic, it's physical, uh, it's nuts and bolts, and yet it's not, and it's around us all the time. Sounds like God. Ah, I know, This is why the ancient aliens thing becomes very plausible. But but that's, you know, look, am I saying I believe that? I'm not saying I believe it. I'm not saying I don't believe it. See, that's that. That's important. That's important. We had Avi Loeb on and he's talking about how all of his colleagues in this, you know, metaphysical space and in physics and they need to have more of a childlike approach to this field because we don't know, just like what you said, like, and that sometimes is the most beautiful answer, right? So why is the government so scared to show their vulnerability? Why is that? That that's I think the deeper question. You know, yeah, they can't say that it's fear. They they can't admit they don't know because you got to admit you're not the top dog. Absolutely, military supremacy is military supremacy. Either you're supreme or you're not, and you're not. That's exactly it. Supremacy. That's exactly it. Yeah, I interviewed a, a, a military, a Brazilian general, Air Force general. Um, Jose Carlos Pereira. Uh, and he said exactly that. He's like, no governing body is going to admit their weaknesses and their vulnerabilities and what they don't know. They just, that's just not in their nature. They can't do that. You're not going to tell them, oh, uh, you know, by the way, there are structured craft of unknown origin whizzing around with impunity. We don't know who they are, where they come from, what they want, and they fly rings around our fastest jets. Shall they turn to be hostile? They can like annihilate us in about two seconds. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, and they're also telepathic, so they oh, can yeah. read your mind. By the way, <laughs> like you know, you like, know what I mean? like <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, so, even you guys, even you and your. Former girlfriend had this telepathic. See, I'm fascinated by that part of it too, we man. Did. The whole that like was, 
that was the part that was that was so weird because I think that if I wasn't with someone, I would have probably never spoke about it ever again. The fact that I was with this girl, Lisa, and she remembered exactly like I remembered it. And the fact that she even texted me just like last, she texted me like, I don't know, five, six months ago. And she's like, Oh my God, I kept thinking about, you know, maybe something to do with what you're doing now has to do with our side. I don't know. I have no idea. I really don't. I don't. And I really would like to know, I, you know, like, I'm going to Brazil in a week. I'm going for a fourth time and I'm meeting with some military guys and some civilian witnesses. Um, my partner, Rebecca, she's like kind of where, you know, she's like, honey, I'm really worried about you going to get kidnapped. I'm like, I'm not going to get kidnapped. I mean, you know, she's like, well, you know, and then I started thinking, <laughs> started thinking, I am going over there to expose something they don't want to expose. <laughs> Hey, we, we got you on, we got you on video right now. So if anything yeah. seriously happens to you, <laughs> yeah. you'll be like, I know, uh, I know, uh, you, you, you know, you do, you, you think about it a little bit, not a lot, yeah. but a little bit, you know, <laughs> you know what I, you know what I think about is that Jesus like, we, we're, we're all in agreement that there are as many planets as grains of sand right? Like on, on our beaches. Right. So that means that there are, we are one of an infinite amount of, you know, options for interstellar intergalactic beings to visit. Right. Yes. Earth's ego is so goddamn big. We think (laughs) it's a hot shit. I think personally, if, if, if the universe is a road trip from New York to San Francisco, (laughs) earth is a urinal at a rest stop in Jersey, you know? <laughs> and there's, there's islands that it's raining diamonds and shit. Like, why do they want to come? We hate everyone's mad. If they could pick up on vibes and other senses. This yeah. is where, like, Earth's where, like, the poor aliens go. Like, we're, like, you know, Ocean City or but something. But see, what if, but you know, what, what if we, what if this is, if they were here first? Oh. You know, we talk about, like, our sure. airspace, right? And I'm like, our airspace, it's like where we draw these borders. Yeah. So, like, you so know, we, if say they're here first, it's their airs, right? Yeah. Like, so, you know, <laughs> I, I got to share something with you guys. So it's two, two, uh, I did an interview with Story Musgrave. He was a, 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 a space shuttle astronaut. It's so funny because I, I, you know, you interview astronauts. And first of all, it's such an honor to even be in the same room with someone of that, yeah. you know, caliber. And, I feel like a total loser when I'm sitting there, you know, I, I, I just feel so unaccomplished and so under everything. Yeah. Right. And, right. And, and I said to story Musgrave and I'll get to Edgar Mitchell in a second. Who's the sixth man to walk. Yeah. I said to story Musgrave, I was like, um, so, uh, what were you, what were you doing when, when you weren't flying the space shuttle? He's like, Oh, I was a, a brain surgeon. <laughs> 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 this guy's got more degrees than a thermometer. Right. I mean, it's like, <laughs> and you can just see it in his eyes. Like the, so, I've never been in the presence of someone so accomplished and so driven. Yeah. He had this look in his eyes, but he said to me, he would study the earth. He'd go around and around the planet and he would look at the earth and he would look see all these invisible borders and all the different wars and all this. And he was like, why on earth? First of all, he's like, this, the universe is teeming with life. There's no question about it, yeah. period. He goes, but why on earth do they want to establish contact with us? We're so hostile. We yeah. can't even get along with each other. Like, 
That's what like, I'm saying. The way he said it was so articulate and he's, you know, went through the whole thing. I was like, oh my God, that's so true. Of course, none of that interview made it in the film. And I, you know how it goes. But you know, like yeah. Native Americans had a had a term for mental illness, and it was it basically translated to mine, me, I. Like it was like they didn't have an idea for like when when like settlers came and like said, This is our land. Now you don't cross over this line. They're like, Oh, they have that mental illness. Like they have the yeah. the border illness, the selfishness, the and it's interesting to think about that. It's like, yeah, airspace and all this shit. Every time I hear that, I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? I know. You know, you guys, I gotta share this 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 interview. I I I I, I sat down with uh, Edgar Mitchell. Apollo 14, six million. Yeah. I idolized that man. And uh, we were doing an interview. He'd written a book called The Way of the Explorer that touched on some of the meetings he'd had with high-level military and government officials regarding the UFO phenomenon, blah, blah, blah. We're talking about that. And in the middle of the interview, I said, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to ask this of you. But what was it like to walk on the moon? <laughs> I'm serious. I oh, yeah. felt really bad because I was like, you know, I'm sure he gets asked that question all Fan the time. Boy. But I, but I just had like, to well, know. You know. I just had to know. So I was like, what was it like? And I was like, oh God, I, I you know. And he sat there and he goes, "Well, James, if you'd like me to tell you, uh, I'll tell you." So I was like, yeah, please, you know, so I closed my eyes and he told me every aspect from the translunar injection where they go around the planet and then they get the trajectory and the coordinates just right. And they put the blasters on. It's called a translunar injection, translunar injection. Yeah. Translunar injection. They go from the earth to the moon and they have to get the trajectory just right. And then they, and then they shut the power off and then they basically just cruise right for three days to get to the moon. And if they get, to if they get it off, they either hit the moon and explode, or they bounce ricochet off the moon <laughs> and miss the thing and then go off into space. Right? It's like oh, it's got to be perfect. I swear to God, what he told me. That's a that's and a pretty gone. easy three days, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no pressure or anything. No pressure. Just get it right. You know, you're dead. And and, and uh, anyway, he goes. You know, I might as well have been in a simulator because I was so caught up in the moment of all the calculations and everything that I just didn't really have time to reflect on what I was actually doing. And then it was his job to separate from the lunar orbiter. And he, and he did the coordinates for the lunar lander and he landed the lunar lander on the surface of, of, of the moon. And, uh, and once the landing had occurred, he said that everything went so quiet, like it was so quiet. And he said, there they were. They'd been up for three days. And NASA was like, get in your hammocks and sleep. So yeah. him, I think it was Michael Collins, but I'd have to look into that. They got into their hammocks and they were supposed to sleep, but they couldn't sleep. And they could hear these macrometeorites pelting the skin of the, of the, of the spaceship because it was so thin, right? They could hear these. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, did you guys know that's going to happen? <laughs> anyway, they got too excited. They told NASA, screw it. We're putting on our spacesuits. We're going to go walk on the moon right now. So they, you know, okay, you know, so they put their spacesuits on. They got on the surface of the moon, and he's walking around the moon, and he's kind of bouncing around. And he says he looks and he sees this blue marble suspended in this vacuum of space rise. It was an Earth rise, 
And he looked at this blue marble. It was Earth. Wow. And he saw this blue marble and he said, you can't imagine the vacuum of space until you see the vacuum of space. The level oh of darkness. God. Like this blue marble in this Earth. And he reached out with one hand like this. And he put one hand in front of the Earth. And he said he blocked out everything. Everything he knew, everything he wow. knew. The entire planet. And, and, and you know, he had this profound epiphany, which he spent the rest of his life trying to explain, trying to come to terms with, like, you know, all the wars at Vietnam at the time were happening and, he, you know, all the invisible borders, uh, you know, and he said that he really felt a very distinct sense of interconnectedness, not just with Earth, but with the cosmos and with the very molecules in the spaceship that was enabling him to, try, you know, and... um he founded the Noetic Institute just to try to explain that epiphany that he had. That there was a, di- a deeper sense of, of connectivity with everything, you know, one planet, one people, yeah, one, you know, yeah. one cosmos kind of thing. And, and that just stayed with me. Like, I think about it every time I look at the moon, yeah. I, think of, I think of Edgar Mitchell and I, that moment, how fortunate I was to have yeah. that opportunity, to have that moment with a man who yeah. walked on the moon. And the fact that I get to share that a little bit with you guys today. Yeah, was, thank you. That's such a privilege you know? to hear that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Oh, man. And the result of it, too, because so much of our podcast is about having these experiences, whether it's whether you get it induced from psychedelics or whether you get it from meditation or religion Hypnotherapy. or, or going African drums or, or going going to the moon. He, had a, he had a legit or makers know, mark psychedelic yeah. experience, right? Without any of that, he hadn't slept for three days. He's yeah. standing on another planet. We know yeah. how the moon looks when it comes up big oh and we're gosh. like, oh my God, I imagine know. on the moon and the earth comes up. I know. I mean, I know. and he just had this experience. Then he yeah. founds the Noetic Institute to deal, to explore yes. this yes. experience, which I would call the, a spiritual experience to like, totally. and it's about yes. connection. That's what this podcast is about. Connection, these experiences, how to get to those experiences. Like if you don't even believe you can have one, yeah. but like we had a guy on named Stanley Krippner. He was like, everybody has psychedelic experiences when they dream. Yeah. So we all are wired for it. We're all wired for this connection. If we could get dialed into that frequency yeah, we maybe could like, you know, I think that's and God. I think that's why the aliens are concerned with us a and don't destroy us because they're trying to help us. It's like your kids. You won't kill your kids. You're like, oh, dude, you're my kids could destroy our whole house. Just burn it down. See, see that? right. But I'm going to I'm helping them tune up for, you know, yeah. I'm helping them. So see. I got to share one thing with you guys. We might be at time. I don't know how much time we have, but um uh, I can't reveal names here because I, I didn't get permission, but I was interviewing some scientists and it, it, we, were, we were actually talking at a dinner and, and um, they were talking about certain people that had uh, the ability to make the connection with uh, an other intelligence. And they had, these scientists had determined that the people that they were studying that had that ability had an extra antenna. I, he didn't use the word antenna, use another more technical word. Yeah. But I said, what does that mean? He said, it's basically an antenna. It, yeah. it, it allows that person 
to pick up on what's already there. But the, so is it the Kaldate Potamen? Yeah, it might be, but it's but the way he put it, explained it to me in layman's terms, because I'm an idiot, but he basically said, it's around us at all times. Some people can have picked it up because they have the receiver. And and, yeah. and I was like, oh my God, wow. Yeah, it's totally a frequency. Real. I think well, a lot of about, musicians have it. We've talked about that too, where like you're you're in a store or you're in a like a public place and you look at someone and you're like, that person straight up is not human. Like that person, like that's an alien right there. That person is an extraterrestrial in, in in a skin suit, and they're just like, yeah. looking at. They're not blinking. Like they're just staring, looking at you funny. And you're like, yeah, that person. Oh, robotic. Yeah, a little bit, a little too robotic. We've all seen them. You know, you know that's really funny. You should say that because uh, here I am telling you guys things that I don't usually share. It must be the makers, but fill them um, up. Uh, yeah, two fingers. I was, I was, I, I did an event at the National Press Club with a woman, Leslie Kane, uh, who's uh, actually getting a lot of, a, a lot of wonderful publicity lately for her incredible journalism, um, particularly with the New Yorker and the New York Times. And um, she's working on, a, on, a, on some other big things that are coming out next year. And um, I don't even think I told her this at the time because it was just too weird. And, and at the end of the National Press Club event, we flew in 14, high-level military and government officials from seven countries. Um, and uh, we had testimony at the National Press Club. I made a movie about it called I Know What I Saw. And during the media break, after the presentation was done, I made eye, con eye contact with a guy that was on the other side of the room. And he had these big, uh, I never thought about this ever before, but he had these big, piercing blue eyes that were almost electric and he looked at me from across the room we made eye contact and i said to myself that guy doesn't look like he's from here and yeah. it, it was just like it was like that quick and, and i never spoke to anybody about it i didn't tell leslie about it i didn't talk to my sister about it to anybody about it yeah about two years later i met with uh and i'll i'll tell this whatever it doesn't matter but i met with uh um Robert Bigelow. Robert oh. Bigelow got the contracts for ATIP. He's, he's, well, you know, Robert, Robert Bigelow. Skin, right? He owns Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, exactly. He owns Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. Exactly. So Robert Bigelow's got a lot of government contracts. He's worked with the government. He's probably put more money. He's a billionaire. He put more money into the UFO. He's got involved with uh, Elon Musk. He was putting uh, these inflatable capsules into space for hotels and habitable zones. And, um, he uh, has also invested hundreds of millions of dollars into research into the phenomenon. He's got a vault with a bunch of evidence. And uh, he reached out to me after he saw my movie and invited me to his house. And we had dinner together. And he said, he said to me, uh, they're walking among us. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought to myself, boy, I had a weird, you know, you know, but that's yeah. what he said. Do I believe him? I'm not saying I believe him. English one. I don't believe him. If anyone was in a position, no, it would be it would be him. But I'm not saying it's true. I'm not saying it's true because I don't know. Right. Hey, man. He did tell me that. Ingo Swan's book, Penetration. I've told our fans about it many times. Go get Penetration and read it or listen to it on Audible. And he talks about that. You know, um, he remember he ran to that lady in the grocery store. He just went next to her. Uh, to the produce section because she was really hot and not wearing 
hardly anything. And then, he, you know, he just, <laughs> every hair on his body stuff, he got very, very afraid. And he realized, he was like, oh, she's not from here. And then he looked down the aisle and he saw the two twins. I mean, I'm talking, <laughs> these, so these really are the was, men in black guys. There really was a blue light special on aisle 15. <laughs> <laughs> A red light special. Um, but, uh, yeah, but, you know, ever since then, and I thought, well, okay, because my mentor is this guy named Colonel Bruce Hampton, who freely admitted that he was part E.T. Mm. He was very psychic. He used to freak people out constantly, guessing their birthdays. right. There. He guessed my birthday within three minutes of when I was born, man. He didn't know my freaking last name. No way. So I just was like... And I knew what time I was born because my mom was into astrology. So I was just like, I'm going to follow this guy. You know, I was like, I don't know what's up with you. And he taught me to see them. He's like, he always said, I mean, our fans are probably tired of me saying this, but he said casinos and airports are the best place because there's so many different types of people they can blend in easier. Right. right. And, like, you know, so you just got to go when you're at Newark airport or fear in O'Hare or something like just, just scan. You know, I would miss so much stuff, but I, I definitely do believe they they walk among us, you know? I, I, look, I, I'm a guy that needs... I, what I've learned after all these years is not to have that knee-jerk response, and I've had it many times, where I just immediately dismiss something because yeah, it sounds yeah. too out there, and I've done it. I did it with Rua. I did it with Virginia. I did it with yeah. Sporo. I did it with a number of cases. I, I just... To me, it's like, oh, come on. You know, I have that like, oh, come on, you know. And so I've learned not to just immediately embrace something, but to, to keep an open mind, review the data, review the evidence, and then make a decision. Because um, I've written things off really quickly that turned out I was, I turned out to be wrong uh, on yeah. many occasions. So now I just say, I don't believe it, but I don't not believe it. I need to see more proof. Nice. Well, can we talk about, I know you have... I, you know, I would be fine to talk to you for three hours. I don't want to keep your time, but there's a couple how, of things. How, how about a couple, couple more questions? Then I'll go have dinner with my family. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. All right, good. We're, we're there's, a, there's a couple of things that I want to, and you can cover them quickly. And these oh, are totally. for skeptics because this was something that I went through to help convince myself that this was legitimate. A, um, presidents. Yes. And UFO. Yes. I, I would like you to go over briefly John Mack's mm -hmm. story because he was from Harvard. And that I think it's really important for people to know, like, look, it's coming out now, the military people, generals, yep. politicians. I'm really glad whether I trust totally their narrative or not. Um, but for the presidents, astronauts, and this guy, John Mack, I think it's very important for people to get a little, just a quick background on those three, if you don't mind. So I've interviewed uh, President Ford, briefly President Carter, indirectly President Clinton um, through uh, Podesta. And yeah. what I have learned is that inquiries have been made at the highest levels and they were not satisfied with the answers they were getting. That's not something I read out of a book. That's information I got directly 
uh, or or almost directly uh, from three different presidents. Um, so I was trying to get to uh, Reagan and Nancy Reagan because there was a whole a bunch of stories I was chasing down. And I was also trying to get to George Bush Sr. because he was former head of CIA. But yeah. yeah, you know, you only do so much. It's like, you know, mm. it's amazing. Well, he, he shut down Carter because Carter, when he tried to find out yeah. senior when he was head of the CIA and he told him no I'd love to know what what, what he knew Boy. Uh, you know George George W Bush I'd like to know what he knows but in any but case, this goes back to Truman right yeah well um have you ever seen that FBI memo with Truman yes I, I just uh, I think it's John Greenwald telling it's it, yeah. it, it was it was in I think it was in July of 1947 in his own handwriting. In his own oh, handwriting, no, I haven't seen that one. Was, no. Well, hang on, no, hang on. Was it J. Edgar Hoover? No, it was J. Edgar Hoover. Sorry. Yeah, but yeah. That was because Truman was president when Roswell happened, right? 47. Yeah, I think so. So J. Edgar Hoover's own handwriting of Roswell, which was really it's amazing. You can look it up. I actually got it. At the time, I think I got it in the late 90s on the site, on the FBI's own website. It's in the film Out of the Blue. And um, uh, it says, in his own handwriting, so it's not typed. It's in his own handwriting. He says, uh, we will agree to it if we can only if we can have access to disks recovered. For instance, in the something case, the Army grabbed it and wouldn't let us have it for cursory examination. Oh. And signed Jan Hoover. It's like... Oh. It's 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 the most damning evidence yeah. I've ever seen because it's in his own handwriting and it was on yeah. their site. I featured wow. it. It's amazing to me how many people are not talking about it or following up on that but one. That's what I'm saying. The New York Times, like yeah. it was right and there for everybody. Truman, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I'm doing the best I can here. I believe we have on camera footage from Truman yeah. after the 1952. You fly over flyover, two consecutive weekends in July of Washington, D.C., which was That's a exactly. phenomenal case. Yeah. You, anybody just go on YouTube and put in Harry Truman UFO. You will yes. see the press conference. Yes. He says we never have a meeting of the Joint Chiefs yes. where it's not addressed. Yes. We're no, trying. Totally. That's and exactly as soon it. as we can confirm something, we'll let you know. So you know, Truman, Eisenhower, I mean, it goes all the way yeah, up the line to right no, now. I, absolutely. You know, I was just speaking of my personal experience with presidents. But yes, yeah, that, that statement from Truman is very compelling. And that statement in his own handwriting right after Roswell from J. Edgar Hoover is also extremely compelling. It's like if that's not a smoking gun, I don't know what is. The discs recovered, for instance, in the something case. People can't translate because it it's scribbled. In the something case, the army grabbed it and wouldn't let us have it for a cursory examination. Well, I bet it was Roswell case. It had to be Roswell. It was yeah. like July of 47. As Roswell was in July, early July. But what's that one right before Roswell? You covered it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. That was in, um, in Phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah. Uh, that was Ronnie um, Zamora. Is that him? That was 64. Uh, 65. There was Trinity. I'm sorry. Blah, blah, blah. No, no. There, there, there was Trinity yeah. in 45, but Jock covered it with, with, with Paula Harris. And I actually interviewed both those witnesses personally, and I found their testimony incredibly compelling. And that was a crash that happened uh, 
within a few miles of Trinity site. I don't yeah. know. Very, it very was close. close. Yeah. It was very... Yeah. But, but okay. I didn't include that in the film because I only had two on camera testimonies from witnesses. They were both civilian. I didn't have any government government documents and I opted to leave that out of the film, whatever. Yeah. But, yeah. but I did find their, their story very compelling. What was the other thing you wanted me to address? Okay, the, the other one is astronauts because I went on a little search for astronauts and I found like yeah. eight, six of them talked about it. Deke Slayton, I put me on a, a different path because James he didn't McDivitt. have his sighting when he was an astronaut. He had it when he was a World War II pilot. James McDivitt, Mercury, I think it was over Hawaii. You'd have to look it up, Google it. But James McDivitt, is the most compelling documented UFO encounter as part of the NASA astronauts, uh, because he not only saw this thing, but he took a photograph of it. And apparently the photograph that he took of it when NASA developed the film, because he saw the thing and he took the damn photograph. And when he developed the film, that when NASA developed the film, they get back, he's like, that's not what I photographed. But James McDivitt is the most credible Allegedly documented UFO encounter in space by an astronaut is James McDivitt. Um, in terms of like, I interviewed Cooper. There's all these things on the internet about Cooper, like, oh, I had this encounter with you. No, he didn't. He said, no, I didn't. He said, I had an encounter while piloting a jet over Germany. Yeah, I saw yeah. that those, those discs. And yeah. I handed footage over of a landed disc at Edwards Air Force Base circa 1957 to higher ups, never saw that again. But in terms of me having a sight in space, that didn't happen. And I believe yeah. you. But James McDivitt is the most credible encounter that was documented or photographically in space. I believe it was over Hawaii in the 60s um, in terms of NASA astronauts. Now, have there been unusual things seen by, by space shuttle and, 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 and uh, the International Space Station? Absolutely. But in terms of NASA astronauts, dating back into the 60s, the James McDivitt is the most compelling. Uh, and I have not seen that one. And I've view. seen all the other, I've seen six that were where they were on camera talking about it. There was a documentary <clears throat> called UFOs Past, Present, or Future. It yeah. was done by Alan Sandler and Robert Emmenager in Emmenager. 74. And that documentary, I believe, features testimony from James McDivitt. And that one was sponsored by Richard Nixon, right? I don't know who paid that. Very suspicious. But, you know, I spoke to Stanton Friedman. Stanton Friedman, this is what he told me. I'm not saying I believe it or I don't believe it. But Stanton Friedman helped promote UFOs past, president, past, president, and future with Alan Sandler and Emmenager. Emmenager had died, unfortunately, just recently. And, um, and he said, "Those uh, Alan's associated with the CIA. And I said, how do you know that? He goes, when they paid me, it came from a CIA thing. And, and Stan Freeman's not like some paranoid, you know, yeah. Stan is a pretty level headed, you know, scientist. He, he don't even believe Bob Lazar. <laughs> yeah. He didn't even believe exactly. But he told me that, but Stanton Freeman told me that. So, yeah. uh, uh, you know, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. The other one is John Mack. I've just yeah. super quick because I, his story so is I really interesting backstory with John Mack. So John Mack was a Harvard, Harvard psychiatrist. He was approached by Bud Hopkins who wrote about, uh, you know, um, would you call them close encounters of the fourth kind? It's Abductions. When people, yeah. yeah. People claim to be abducted by aliens. That's what it is. Okay. Right. 
So I guess Bud Hopkins approached John Mack. They became friends, got him looking into the phenomenon. He's still associated, obviously, with, with Harvard University. John Mack is approached by uh, Lawrence Spellman Rockefeller. He's funded his research because having the um, Harvard University label um, just kind of, I guess, made him way more credible. Harvard had a big problem with it. And Harvard basically it, it involved Danny Sheehan, who's a lawyer. And I love uh, him. And and Harvard tried to uh get rid of John Mack because of his public association with the phenomenon. And uh, you know, um Lawrence Rockefeller stepped in and said, You know those grants you're getting from from the Rockefeller <laughs> Foundation? Well, yeah, See? you let that guy go and those grants are gone. I found that Protection. out. Protection. Yeah. See, that that's my Danny, Sheehan, Danny Sheehan had a role in that too. Apparently, he he stood up for. But you know, it was a it was the nineties, and it was you know UFOs were nowhere near as um, I don't want to use the word ubiquitous, but 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 things changed in two thousand seventeen. Things changed, and I know that because I've been I've been laughed at for decades, and I've been uh, the butt of people's jokes and and uh, ridiculed. Um, that changed in, in 2017. I mean, I had some people that watched, I know what I saw out of the blue and they're like, Oh, they had more respect for what I was doing. You know, I was like, look, don't, don't, don't attack me. Look at the data, look at the testimony. Don't, I've got nothing to do with it. I'm just reporting on it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but things changed, but you know, at the time in the nineties, you got a Harvard psychiatrist who's talking UFOs and contact and abduction. I think Harvard just got incredibly nervous, you know, and, and it just wasn't, it wasn't anywhere near where it is today. I mean, it's look, we know that UFOs are real. It's been admitted at the highest levels. They're saying they're real. They're saying they're probably not us and they're probably not the Russians and they're probably not the Chinese. So you can fill in the blanks on that one, but that's kind of a big deal. Everyone was like this assessment that came out in June 25th. Oh, it's a big nothing burger. I'm like, nah, I don't agree with that. Hmm. I think it's actually a something burger. You've got the yeah. intelligence agencies providing this public report. I'd love to see the the, the, the non-redacted version, you know, public report basically saying that UFOs are real. They're real. They're UAPs. And they're not us. And they're probably not the Russians mm. or the Chinese. I mean, come on, man. That's kind of a big deal. Do you, don't you think? That's oh. why you're on here, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know what else, too? I'd like to say, deal. As, a, as a filmmaker, you're in a, you're in a, a pocket of content like you know stand-up comedy goes from children's clowns all the way to richard pryor right and in filmmaking with this genre it's the same thing because you have these very cheesy low budget hokey things and then you've got real information and when you believe in the information and you're you know portraying it the way that you are man that's very important and very special so yeah you know, that it's just congratulations, but also like good work, man. You know? Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you. All guys. the years of being ridiculed and oh. sticking with oh, it. Man. I mean, and that's, that's, you know, that's good shit. Oh. <laughs> Thank you guys. No, seriously. I, I, I really, I, it's, you know, you forget like, uh, you, you do, you do something, you put it out in the world and it develops a life of its own. And you, you kind of forget that. You know, like yeah. I'll yeah. get contacted by people. Oh my God, thank you so much for, you know, thank me for what? 
for that film you did. Oh God, thank you. I, that's nice to hear. It really, you know, when your music gets appreciated or something, you work, you, you push it out of the nest and you hope it flies. Right. I mean, what can you do? And, uh, uh, it's funny, actually, just like a couple of nights ago, I haven't watched the movie since I finished it. I have not watched my movie since I finished it. (laughs) I've watched it like four times. (laughs) I've not watched it since I finished it. Have you watched it on good speakers? It was supposed to be in theaters. Ah uh, no, I didn't. It just oh my leaves. god, I was just god, I was, I was going into the bank, and I and I I was begging for a loan to pay for the you know for the sound mix because it's, you're always broke at the end of a long project. It's always it's, you push all in, you're at the poker table. It's just the way it is. Yeah. The way I've always been. Hopefully, I don't have to do that next time. But in any case, um, everyone's like, "Oh, your movie's going to be in theaters. You have to have a 5.1 Dolby surround mix. You need to hire the sound engineer. It's like $100,000. I'm like, $100,000? Are you kidding me? Like, what? <laughs> oh, you have to do it. Your movie. People are going to get up and walk out of that theater not knowing what it was. It was irritating them so badly. <laughs> Got to have the good. You know, it's like, oh, my God. So I found a guy. He's like, I'll do it for 50. I was like, $50,000 just for, that's not including the, the, the E&O insurance, the lawyers, the color correction, the, all the lights, like, you know, your movie's done and you still have to spend several hundred thousand dollars. Uh, Jesus. Anyway, my point is we have a really good Dolby 5.1 surround mix. If you guys watch the movie and by the way, if anybody watches it, rent it, just Google it, rent it for the cheapest price possible. If you buy it, get it from iTunes, or Vimeo, because if you buy it on iTunes or Vimeo, it's the same cost that it would be anywhere else, and you get three hours of bonus material for no additional cost. Yeah. And people always get angry when I don't tell them that, because why didn't you tell me I bought it on? And I said, ah. people don't ask, but if you rent it, just rent it for the cheapest place possible. I think it's Amazon for $3.99. But if you buy it, get it from iTunes or Vimeo. Because I put I'm a just- like, package of three hours of bonus material for free. Like you get it That's with awesome. us. I got it on iTunes. I was checking yeah. all that. So you out. know, it's really good. You know, yeah, man. Well, Gina, we'll, look, we'll let you go, go eat eat with dinner, your family. Man. Well, gentlemen, I really appreciate you having me on. I love what you guys do. I seriously really appreciate it very come much. Come back on, come back on, and we'll talk more. And <laughs> yes. rye bourbon, rye bourbon, ginger beer, and a little bit of maraschino cherry juice. Are you guys coming to Vermont at all? Soon. No, New York. Yeah, when you guys come, New can York. I stay in touch? I'd love to. I, yeah. I want to come hear you guys. Yeah, well, I'm a stand-up comedian. He's the musician. I want to. I want to hear you guys. No problem. Yeah, yeah we'll let you know. I'll text you for yeah, sure. I'm in Vermont as I'm in Vermont as often as possible. In fact, there's a club in Burlington. I do all as a bunch. I I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I want to come and meet you both. Yeah, you're a cool dude, man. I want to oh, hang with you, man. You're awesome. I really mean that. I want to come meet both you guys in person. I really mean that. Totally, absolutely. Freaking out. I love it. Bless you, brother, man. Have a great dinner. Osiris. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 